Well, good morning, Crossroads. All right, that was really good. You should be proud of yourselves. All right, well, hey, uh, my name is Lance. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my pleasure to be with you today uh, as we start this brand new series called Faith That Works. Uh, there's an outline in your program. I'd encourage you to pull that out now. There's some uh, a place in there for you to follow along and take some notes along the way if that's something that helps you. Uh, most of the scripture that we're going to be reading through today is in there as well. Uh, throughout this series, we're going to be going chapter by chapter through the New Testament book of James. Now, the book of James is a letter that was written around 62 AD by, you guessed it, James. Uh, and he is the half-brother of Jesus. Now, James was writing to Jewish Christians who had been scattered uh, by some hardship and persecution. So he's writing to try to give them some encouragement. Uh, now, the book of James has been referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament, right? Uh, and over the next four weeks, we're going to spend some time unpacking this powerful and practical book and applying some of the wisdom that we find there to our daily lives. The central theme of the book of James is faith, genuine faith. And as we start this series, it's important that we take a moment to pause and define this word faith. So this is in your notes, the first fill-in, faith equals trust in God leading to life change and action. See, faith is more than simply belief. The faith that we'll be looking at, the faith that we read about in James, a faith that works is one that truly changes us and inspires us to action. Now, don't get me wrong, like what you believe is important, but just believing something is not faith. James stresses that true faith will show up in how we live our lives. Now, James is not saying that we are saved by our good deeds. Uh, we're saved by God's undeserved mercy, by his grace alone, uh, by putting our faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, and seeking to follow him. But what he is saying is that if we really have faith, it will show up in our lives. That our faith will be evident by our good deeds. I love the way that Edith Hamilton explains this in this quote. She says, faith is not belief. Belief is passive. Faith is active. Okay? Faith should be catalytic powerfully pushing us forward into growth and change and action. Our faith in God is so important, friends. Once we accept Christ and allow our faith in him to be the guiding force in our lives, it becomes the very root of our identity and our character. As Christians, our faith should define us. It's the source of our hope and our joy, and it can help us in our daily lives in so many ways if we allow it to. So let's dive right in. Let's start looking at some of the ways that faith helps us, right? The first one is this. Faith helps me face my trials positively and productively. Positively and productively. Life is full of trials, stress, pressure, chaos. Just about everyone here today is facing some type of problem right now, I'm sure. We need wisdom, and we need the power of faith to face those issues. So let's look together at this first excerpt from James 1. We're going to start in verses 2 through 4. Check it out. It's on the screen and in your notes. It says this. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance. 
Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Consider it joy whenever you face trials. Okay, let's get real here for a second. So it is hard to see joy in the midst of trial, conflict, stress, and chaos in our lives. Just me? I'm with you, Lance. Great. Okay. Uh, We often associate these types of things with darkness in our lives, right? And joy is often associated with light. So saying, let's find joy in the trial is kind of like let's saying, let's find light in the darkness. Friends, that can be very hard. Sometimes our circumstances seem very bleak. Right now, Pulse, our junior high ministry, is at their summer on tour camp. Uh, uh, They're actually on their way back right now. Uh, This is probably the biggest group we've ever taken on this camp. We've got about 30 kids, um, and my son is one of them. Uh, It's called Summer on Tour because they travel around a bit. They're at more than one location. They go to Discovery Kingdom, Golfland, Sunsplash, downtown Sacramento. They're all over the place. It's a ton of fun. A little over an hour after they left on Thursday... We got notified that the church van broke down on the Benicia Bridge. Yeah. Now, thankfully, uh, they were able to use some of the other vehicles on the trip to shuttle our kids to the next location. Uh, But it took some doing. And as you can imagine, it was a little chaotic and stressful. Um, And I'll say it again, just for reassurance, everybody is totally safe. Uh, Everybody's okay. Nothing dangerous happened. It's all good. Okay. But... Mike and Becca had to figure out how to get the van towed to a mechanic, and then they had to wait several hours before it could get looked at. Finally, more than five hours after the whole situation began, they were told that the van engine had significant damage, that it would cost over $3,500 to fix, and take several days. Needless to say, we would not be using it for the rest of the trip, and the trip had just started. So we scrambled to try to find a 15-passenger van that we could use for the rest of the weekend. And after some searching, we were able to find one in Oakland, which is not near Vallejo, just FYI. So that meant that Mike and Becca had to drive from Vallejo to Oakland to pick up the van, and then from Oakland back to Vallejo to get the kids, all during commute traffic. Now, I'm back here at the church just hearing about them having to deal with all of these unexpected changes and challenges and logistics and chaos and stress, and I'm getting upset for them, right? Like, I'm frustrated that this is happening, and I'm exasperated at the timing of it all. And then as they're driving to Oakland, Mike and Becca call me, hands-free, and uh, they're going to pick up the van. Now, I'm prepared to try to calm them down. Right? Like, I'm going to say something to reassure them and to tell them it's all all right. Like, hey, home base has got your back. We got you. Whatever you guys need. Right? Uh, But instead of hearing justifiable complaints and frustration, what I hear on the other end is strength and laughter and peace from leaders who are grounded in their faith and hope that God has them, have our kids, and has this situation completely in his control. And rather than me consoling them, they restored a sense of peace and calm in me. And I know that as our leaders and our students, including my son, saw their response in that moment, as our leaders went through with a heart of peace and joy and surrender, that moment will speak volumes beyond any message or lesson they might hear this weekend. 
Friends, trials force us to turn to God for help. When we reach out to him asking for help and we see him show up, then we see that God is reliable. When we truly recognize that we are not in control, that can sometimes produce fear within us, right? But when we see God consistently show up and reveal himself in our lives, we begin to trust him and believe that he will show up again. See, God's incredible ability to be there for us, to show up, his undying love for us, helps us to have growing peace despite our circumstances. Now, we know that we cannot control a lot of the circumstances that happen in our lives, right? I can control how I respond to them. I can respond in faith knowing that God is working in and through the trials and that he is with me. And how do I know that? Or how do we do that? (laughs) Because we know, right? We know that by faith, God is with us. And as G.I. Joe taught me, knowing is half the battle. Thank you. Thank you. You guys get it. The other services are G.I. Joe. (laughs) How does God strengthen our character? By making sure everything goes our way? Not in my experience. God teaches us patience in traffic jams, in church vans dying on bridges, in grocery lines, in waiting for a good spouse, in waiting to get a good job, in wondering if you'll ever be able to have kids. We live in a society where the ultimate goal is comfort and convenience. Everybody wants it now, and if I can't have it now, forget it. I don't even want it anymore. Endurance, persistence, and perseverance seem to be rare qualities in this day and age. The perseverance that James is talking about here is not some passive patience, but staying power, endurance, the ability to keep on keeping on, the ability to hang in there. The Greek word he uses here is literally the ability to stay under pressure. Now let's be honest, we don't like pressure, right? And most of us, we'll do anything we can to avoid it. We'll run from it, we'll take drugs, we'll drink alcohol, we escape to Disneyland, whatever we can do to avoid the pressure, right? But God wants to use these problems and the pressure in our lives to teach us how to handle it and how we can never give up. Friends, i got to tell you, God is much more interested in building your character than in making you comfortable. Our prayer team and our staff, we pray through all the communication cards that we get every single week. Friends, my heart breaks when I think about the heartache and pain that many of you are experiencing right now. There's people in our congregation that are fighting for marriages. They're recovering from divorce and betrayal out of work for months, battling depression and other mental health issues, struggling with enormous parenting challenges, diseases, the list goes on and on. Friends, I know it is not always easy to have a joyful heart in the middle of these incredible issues. Even when you want to have a joyful attitude, it can still be very difficult. That's why I want to tell you, we got to pray. 
we got to pray for two things. We need wisdom to understand the trial and faith to endure the trial. So genuine faith gives us the power to overcome our trials, to face them positively and productively. The second way that faith helps us is faith can help us to make wise decisions. To make wise decisions. Have you ever made a dumb decision? Anybody that you wish you could take back? Okay, some of us want to be honest. That's cool. I know I've made plenty in my life. I'm just thinking about this morning. Um, But God wants to spare us from the pain of those dumb decisions. Okay? A wise person can learn from others, from their wisdom and from their mistakes. Right? I mean, let's be honest. Essentially, our lives are just kind of a series of choices that we make every day. Right? We have to evaluate. We decide. We draw conclusions. The course and quality of our lives will be determined by the decisions we make. Some of them we may regret. Some of them we may feel really good about. Big decisions can be especially difficult. Sometimes they just paralyze us. But decisions are much easier when we approach them from a place of faith. When we trust that God is at work, guiding, helping, protecting, giving us the wisdom and faith that we need to make these key decisions. Let's keep reading in James 1 and see what he says in verses 5 through 8. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So the first thing he kind of says here is that we have to admit our need, right? He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. That sounds a little sarcastic to me, right? Like if you don't think you know as much as God, maybe you should ask him. Anybody think they know as much as God? No? Okay, good. So we all admit that we have this need, right? We all lack wisdom, okay? Wisdom is different from knowledge, right? Wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge you have. Wisdom is seeing life from God's point of view. Wisdom is making decisions the way God would want us to make decisions. Now, how do we get wisdom? By listening to the media, by reading your favorite lifestyle blog, by watching TV, by taking smart pills. I really wish we had those. No, James says you should ask God, right? The reason that we don't have wisdom is because we don't ask. And James says this in four, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you have not because you ask not. And the word he uses there in the Greek literally says, keep on asking. Be persistent. Be continual. Right? It's a continual thing. We have to continually ask God for wisdom. And friends, i got to tell you, of all the times to pray, pray when you've got problems. Okay? Pray for wisdom to understand the problem. Ask God to give you his perspective on tough situations in your life. Ask him for understanding of what's going on and what he wants to do in your life through those circumstances. Many of you are at a crossroads in your life today. No pun intended. Our church is at a crossroads. Pun slightly intended. And last week, Uh, We sent out a very important email to our entire church database. Uh, We communicated through Facebook, our mobile app, text message, pretty much every avenue we got, that there was some important information that you needed to know. 
So hopefully this isn't a surprise to any of you, uh, but we are sad to share that for a number of reasons, which we outlined in that communication, um, that we will unfortunately be temporarily pausing our efforts in Hayward. Um, our last service in Hayward for now is going to be next Sunday, which is uh, July 28th. Uh, and I want to say, if you have not seen this communication already, please make sure you go check your email. You can check on our Facebook or our website. This information is up there. Um, email is the primary method of communication that we have for you. So please make sure you're checking your inbox regularly for news and updates from us. Friends, I got to tell you, this decision was not an easy one for us to make. Okay? Uh, it came after a long, hard time of really working through it. But we truly believe that Hayward needs a church like Crossroads there. So many people have sacrificed time and effort, energy, money, and so much more to help this campus to grow and thrive. There was nothing easy about making the decision to temporarily halt our efforts there. But it was a decision that had to be made. It was one that we prayed about. We discussed it with other leaders we sought out wise counsel from people that we know and trust with more experience than we have and ultimately made a difficult decision. But we have faith that God is with us and that he is in this. Even in the midst of challenging circumstances, we can grow and learn if we have the right attitude. I think there's something we have to stop doing. We have to stop asking why. We've got to stop asking, why is this happening to me? Why am I having to endure this trial? Because, friends, the truth is, there's more than one potential answer to that question. Right? Now, we just talked about part of the why is to purify our faith, to produce perseverance, and to perfect our character. That's always going to be part of the why. But instead of asking why, I think we should start asking what. Ask God, what do you want to teach me in this, Lord? What is it you want me to learn as a result of this situation? What do you want me to do in this moment? And then, in faith, expect an answer. You anticipate an answer. Uh, on your outline, in verse 6, I want you to circle the words, not doubt. If you want wisdom, first you got to ask the right person, and then you got to ask in the right way. In faith, believing for an answer, not doubting. We got to ask God for wisdom and direction. We got to seek wise counsel, and then we make a decision and we trust God for the results. And friends, it can be very scary sometimes. But I want you to consider this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. He says, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. I love that. I think it paints a beautiful picture. So the power of faith helps us to make decisions with confidence. The third way that faith can help us is that faith gives us power to resist temptation. Gives us power to resist temptation. Now, temptation, that's a whole nother kind of trial and testing all its own. So let's see what James says, uh, continuing in James 1, now verses 12 through 15, on the screen and in your notes. It says, 
Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, give birth, gives birth to death. So it says faith gives us the power to defeat temptation when we believe that God is right, that his commands are right, and that they are what's best for us. In faith, we choose to obey God rather than to give in to temptation, rather than to live for that immediate gratification. Friends, faith in the short term saves us from a lot of pain and turmoil and heartache in the long term. Now, I want to point something out. I think this is important. It is not a sin to be tempted. Okay? All of us are tempted. Sin begins when we uh, succumb to temptation, when we give in, right? Uh, Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, yet he sinned not. He was perfect, right? He was tempted, but he never gave in. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not Jesus, uh, and I am not perfect. So when we do lose the fight against temptation, and we all will from time to time, it's important to accept responsibility. Okay? We don't blame other people for our problems. Uh, a lot of times we like to do that, you know, kind of point fingers. Sometimes we even blame God, right? I want us to look again at verse 13. He's, uh, James tells us, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone else. So God does not tempt us, so we cannot blame him for our own weaknesses and sin. So when temptation comes, I think it's important that we need to be ready. Right? We need to understand how Satan works, how temptation works. And it starts with our own natural desires. The enemy knows our weaknesses, gang. He knows you inside and out, and he knows what we will fall for. And he's baiting a fish hook and hoping to catch you. Now, he hides that hook in the bait, and the bait appeals to your weakness. The crazy thing is, is that oftentimes we see the hook in the bait, and we just keep nibbling anyway. What begins in our minds as a thought results in our lives as an action. And if temptation begins with our thoughts, then changing what we think about seems to me to be the key to overcoming it. Now, this is, it's called the principle of replacement. Many of you have heard it before. It's the key to overcoming temptation. See, I don't think the solution to fighting temptation is to, like, try to battle it off, right? The key is to refocus our thoughts. Turn your attention on something else. Shift your thoughts. Instead of looking at what we're tempted by, like just look somewhere else. Might I suggest up. The single most important principle in resisting temptation and sinful habits and getting control of our lives is to surrender control of our lives to God. Get him in your life so he can start changing your character. I don't know about you, but I do not have the strength to do this alone just by my own willpower. Like, I need some supernatural power 
I need Jesus Christ in my life. And friends, when that happens, we get a fresh start on life. I want to challenge you to ask Christ in. Ask him to make those changes and to give you the power you need to do what we ultimately know is right anyway. You will not be able to say no to temptation until you first learn to say yes to God. We all need his power in our lives. So we examine the power that faith can have in our lives. And I wonder, would you like to have a faith like that? Like a powerful faith in a powerful God. A faith that will help you to overcome your trials positively and productively. A faith that will help you to make wise decisions with confidence. A faith that will help you to resist and overcome temptation. A faith that gives you joy in spite of your circumstances. A faith so powerful that Jesus tells us in Matthew 17, 20, it can move mountains. I want a faith like that. And friends, it's available to all of us. So, how do I get that kind of faith? Well, faith starts with hearing God's word. With hearing about God and our need for him. And that our sin has separated us from God. And so that God, in his love, sent his son to pay the price of our sin on the cross. So that we could be forgiven and restored to a relationship with him. This powerful faith starts when we turn to the only source. We have to turn to the only source. We start by turning to God, the source and author of our faith. Let's continue reading in James, this time verses 16 through 18. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift, faith, wisdom, decision-making ability, overcoming trials and temptations, all of it is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Friends, we can trust God because of his character, right? He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits in all he created. Everything good comes from God. And our God is steadfast and unchanging and worthy of our faith. In fact, God is the only one worthy of our faith. Sometimes what can happen naturally, and I think it happens in churches a lot, is that we put our faith in our leaders. That our faith in God is actually faith in God through a person. Right? And I want to tell you right now that this is a surefire recipe for disillusion, uh, disillusionment, disappointment, and disaster. It's one thing to trust a person, but our devoted faith belongs to God alone. He's the source, not a person, okay? And I know I speak for myself and all of our other pastors and leaders here at Crossroads when I say this. I promise you that we will let you down. I promise you I will screw up. I will fail you. I will disappoint you. I will offend you. I may have done it in the last 20 minutes. I will fall short of your expectations, and so will somebody else. But God never will. There are many times when we don't understand his methods. We won't like what's happening. 
We may get frustrated or even angry at God. But we can always have faith that he's with us. That he's for us. And that he's working on our behalf. I love how Oswald Chambers says it in this quote. He says, faith is deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. We may not see it or understand it or even like it in the moment. But faith is our deliberate confidence in the character of God because we know who he is and we believe that he is good and our faith is in him alone. Now, there's several times in the Bible where we see this promise, but I want to look at it specifically in 2 Chronicles 16.9. It tells us that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Friends, God wants to strengthen our faith. When our hearts are committed to him, when our faith is in him, he will strengthen us. He promises us that. But we have to first put our faith and trust in him alone as the source. Another way that we can cultivate this kind of powerful faith in our lives is to use hearing aids to listen to God. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle to hear from God on my own. I need some help. I could use a hearing aid. Anybody know uh, somebody who could use a hearing aid but, like, refuses to get one? Maybe you've had those awkward yell conversations at the house. What's for dinner? I told you five times. Uh, But we need to use any of the tools at our disposal to avail ourselves to hearing from God. Now, doing these things doesn't mean that God is somehow more available to us than he is to someone else. It just means that we'll be able to hear him better, like a hearing aid, right? God's voice does not change but we can make ourselves more open to hearing it. In fact, that's the first hearing aid, openness, okay? We need to be open to hearing from God. James explains it this way in verses 19 through 21. He says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, these are some great relationship principles, and they also apply to our attitude toward receiving God's word. James says we must receive the word of God with the right attitude, right? And he gives us four ways that we can be more open to hearing from God. In fact, why don't you underline these in your outline? The first one, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to anger, and then get rid of the filth and evil that can block us from hearing from God. So be quick to listen, right? We want to give God our full attention. We got to be alert. We don't want to miss it. Being slow to speak. When I'm talking, I'm not listening. Uh, When I'm thinking about my own solutions to my problems, I'm not listening. Many of our problems are caused because we are quick to speak rather than being quick to listen. Husbands, you with me on this one? Right? Oh, I'm going to try to solve the problem. Well, just shut up and listen. How about? Maybe that's just me. Uh, But we have to be calm if we're going to receive God's word and be blessed by it. Right? In uh, verse 19, it says, be slow to become angry. A relaxed attitude increases receptivity. If you're relaxed, 
people can communicate with you more, right? Uh, we don't hear as much when we're angry or stressed or resentful. Think of the example I gave you earlier, Mike and Becca versus me, right? Mm, let's go Mike and Becca. Um, verse 21 tells us to get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Sometimes before we plant the seed, we got to do a little bit of weeding in our lives. The word uh, filth here is actually the Greek word that means earwax. Uh, so when you have sin in your life, you have the filth, it blocks your hearing. Okay? It prevents God's word from getting into our hearts. So he says, get rid of the evil. Get rid of anything that isn't right in our lives. Lay aside the emotional baggage, the garbage, the old habits, the junk in our lives so that God's word can get through to us. So we need to hear it. We need to accept it. But we also need to listen to it. And that's the next hearing aid, obedience. We need to be obedient to the word of God. Let's keep reading in James, verses 23, 22 through 25. Eh, you know what I mean. Uh, do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what he does. So James gives us this illustration of a mirror, right? And now the purpose of a mirror, we use it to kind of examine ourselves, right? Like we look in a mirror, we assess the damage from the night before and go, oh gosh, and then we do something about it, right? Uh, but what good is a mirror if we look at ourselves and go, well, that's a mess, and then do nothing to fix it, right? God says a mirror reflects what we're like on the outside, but God's word reflects what we're like on the inside. So we got to read it, right? The word look in Greek that he says to look in the mirror here, uh, it's, it means to stoop down and gaze in. To stoop down and gaze in. In fact, it's the same word that's used when Peter goes to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday. To stoop down and gaze in. To really examine and investigate. We want to focus our attention on the word of God. Read it. Review it. That means over and over and over again, right? Uh, the Bible calls this meditation. Now, don't worry. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate, okay? Uh, take a negative idea. Think about it over and over and over and over and over again. You got worry. Take God's word. Think about it over and over and over and over again. You got meditation, Similar. One's more helpful than the other. Uh, so the outlines we give you each week, like what you're filling out right now, that's not just so that you can keep up with us on the message. Truth is, most of you are probably further ahead than I am. Uh, that is so that you can take it home and review it, right? So that you can continue to study in God's word after you leave here. We need to fill our minds with the word of God. But all of this stuff with God's word is not enough if we don't apply it. We read it. We review it. But then we got to do it. I got to do something about it. I got to act on it, live it, practice it. Verse 22 says, do not merely listen to what the word says and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. We got to respond to God's word. We have to let it change us if we're going to be truly blessed by it. A lot of times we think that just gaining content is making us more spiritually mature. 
The test of maturity, friends, is not knowledge. The test of maturity is character. I need to practice it. I need to apply it. I need to put it in my life. I think a lot of us get lulled into this fact that because we're hearing a lot about God, that we're maturing. But many believe and don't practice. James would say they are hearers and not doers. And this is the kind of thing that James is attacking here. He's saying, if you want to be blessed, you've got to live the word of God, not just hear it, not just know it. It's not enough. Another critical spiritual hearing aid is to get around others who follow Jesus. One of the reasons that we're instructed to meet together is so that we can encourage each other in our faith. We're reminded of this in 1 Thessalonians where we see it says, we sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Friends, life is hard, right? But it is harder if you try to do it alone. One of the reasons it's so important to attend church regularly and to stay connected to a group is because our attitudes are contagious, but faith is contagious. You never know when you showing up will be the difference maker in somebody else's life. We've got to stay connected to each other. So to develop a powerful faith, we have to trust God as the source. We've got to use spiritual hearing aids to hear from him better. But friends, a powerful faith is proven and strengthened by action. James concludes this chapter with three examples of putting God's word into practice in our lives. And he talks more about these in the rest of the book. So we're going to hear more about them in the weeks to come as well. Uh, But I want to see if you can identify them as we read through this together. So let's look at verses 26 and 27. He says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So did you find them? You see the three examples? Let's underline them. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Look after the orphans and widows. And keep yourself from being polluted by the world. And again, we're going to hear more about this in the weeks to come. So I want to encourage you, make sure you're here for the rest of this series as we unpack some of these powerful truths in our lives. Friends, let me leave you with this encouragement. Let's be doers of the word, not just listeners. My prayer is that we will remember what we've talked about today and put it into practice in our lives. I pray that Crossroads develops the reputation where people say, oh, Crossroads? Yeah, they're doers of the word. They practice what everybody else just talks about. They live it. The best translation of scripture is when we translate it into our lives and let it change us. More than anything else, our faith is strengthened when we start living out what the Bible says. Let's pray together. God, right now, uh, we recognize our need for you in our lives. God, we need your courage and perseverance to endure life's trials and challenges. 
God, we need your wisdom and guidance to make good decisions. We need your strength to resist the temptations of sin, Father. Would you help us to have a powerful faith in you, God? Would you speak to us and would we be open to hearing from you? Regardless of our circumstances, God, would we be ever focused on the truth that every good and perfect gift comes from you, God? And we thank you and we praise you for that today. Amen.